feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz, a Building 28 Church podcast, where we confront the fantasies and fallacies of modern day Christian culture with compassion, conviction, and courage. I'm your host, Peter Tragos, and with me, as always, is our pastor, Aaron Curran. We're doing things a little bit different today. Instead of me setting up the podcast, I'm going to let Peter set up the podcast because he has a lot of friends who are very interested in divorce apparently well so oh, this man. to me is the number oh, I'm one just saying, like he said that before the podcast so. this is this is the number one requested mm. episode topic from anybody i talk to that watches or listens to out of oz they want to know what the bible says about divorce they want to know what's permitted or even as some people said encouraged or just outlawed Right. Because I think there's a lot of different angles that different religions come at this too. Right. It's not just everybody's not on the same page with divorce. I think we can start with that. We're also going to tackle remarriage, I think, a little bit throughout the podcast as well. But I think the most important angle to come at this is what does the Bible say about divorce? What does the Bible permit or allow when it comes to divorce? And I think we need to talk as specific as we can because people wrestling with this question want to know specifically about their situation. Obviously, we're not going to be able to hit every situation, but I think we can do a good job of actually being more practical and specific than I think a lot of other podcasts, books, and other people talking about this topic are. And and in conjunction with that, obviously, is uh, because I would say as a pastor, I probably get more questions, questions about remarriage than I do divorce. And so it's, you know, once you've gone through the trauma of divorce, can I then you know, am I biblically permitted to remarry? And so uh, there's, a, there's a lot on the table today. So good setup, Peter. Good setup, man. That was good. I like it. Uh, joining us today, he's back. Oh, so he's back. <laughs> he, he took like a six-year sabbatical. Yeah. Six years. Yeah, and uh, Two months. Two months. Out. He right. were just collateral damage for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nothing yeah, to do with yeah. us. But he's we like, were, we were scrambling. Oh, Who are we going to have on the podcast oh, for gosh. three months? Uh, no, but superpowers back. I'm inching ever closer to that doctorate. Two seminars away before the dissertation begins now. There you go. It's looming, daunting, but so exciting. That would be. So So, good to be back. It was restful, but I'm glad to be back. For for anyone who... We're going to do another podcast on pastor sabbatical, but that's not... That would be really good. Aaron's eyes light up. I would love that. That'd be awesome. Um, And uh, if if you happen to be... This is your first episode you're tuning into, or you just saw the title of the podcast uh, and you decide to watch, Adam is the pastor up at Sunrise Community Church in Newport Ritchie. Great church. Great pastor. Great guy. Great to have you back, man. The Hobbit himself. Um, And then we also have one of my mission trip homies. We've been on a couple of those mission trips. Stay up late at night, sitting there talking over our coffee, talking theology, chopping up the word. It's been a lot of fun. But Miss Lisa Preston on the podcast today. Let's get around. Yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. So, uh, Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks for being on. So, Pete, I'll let you just kind of steer us into the ditch. Okay. All right. Hopefully not the ditch. (laughs) Well, yeah, right. Get the bus back on the tracks already. So... When we talk about divorce, right, I think people struggle with the question when it comes time in their marriage that they feel like they have struggles they can't overcome. They feel like it's outside their control, but sometimes they start a little too early, I think, is one of the major problems with it. So let's, I think, just to open it up, why don't you guys start and give, because I'm sure you've done counseling around this issue. You've talked a lot of people struggle with this issue, and then Lisa can bring in some of her personal experiences and things that she's learned over the subject when she dug into it. Where do you start? with somebody who says, I think I want to divorce my husband or wife for whatever reason, where do you start biblically and how you guide them? So there's a couple of ways of approaching this, but for me, being very objective in, in my approach, not, on, not only with the word, but just I'm not a highly sensitive, emotional guy. And so <laughs> surprise, surprise. But to me, to me, I go to Genesis 2.24 and the, the reality cool. that what, what the Lord has joined together is not supposed to be broken. Now, whether or not, which we'll get to, whether or not there are exception clauses to that, I would believe and hold to uh, the conviction that restoration is always what's best. Whether it's a marriage relationship, a friendship, a church environment, restoration is what's best. Like that's what we would love to see if at all possible. And so I try to direct the person, hey, 
as much as possible, put even the thought out of your mind, put the word out of your vocabulary. Like, don't go down that route. Now, there might come a point in time where that is the only option that's left, or that's what the, the individual believes is the most righteous option, or maybe even the pastor or whatever. Um, but for me, that's kind of the direction I take is the, the way that God has fused shared the, the marriage terminology in scripture is borrowed from the Trinitarian relationship. And so just as there is a union within the Trinity, marriage is supposed to symbolize that. It's also borrowed from gospel concepts, you know, in Ephesians chapter five. And so just as Christ has set his affection upon the church and and pledged his unswerving devotion to the church and the church is supposed to, they can't be lost by Christ. So there's that bond. So when you begin to disrupt marriage, when you begin to pull it apart, the fabric of it, Quite honestly, it is uh, essentially a picture of what it would be like, the impossibility of what it would be like to pull apart Christ and his church. Like that's the mess. That is the the dysfunctions there. And so I always direct them to let's pray through, let's work toward restoration, let's put this out of out of mind, out of out of mouth until there's there's no other option toward doing that. Yeah, I think the Christ and the church example is one that people can gloss over or brush over because it doesn't seem like something they can you know, see and touch and feel. But that I think is, that should be something that should be a big obstacle in front of even confronting this issue. But Adam, where do you start? Yeah. So I want to get to everything that Aaron said when people come for counsel to me at church or out of church. That's where I want to go. And that's where I do go. But that's probably the second step for me. First, I want to listen to the specific situation that these individuals, this couple, or whether it's both of them or one of them coming to me, I want to listen to see what's going on. Because all of that's in the background, kind of looming behind there, along with Malachi, God hates divorce, things like this. But uh, we, we live in a fallen world. Yes, it's true because of the monumental obstacle that's beautiful in the mountain in front of us, that marriage is a depiction and, and a display to the world of Christ's love for his bride, the church, every time divorce happens, it tells the world a lie about the gospel. And so all, all that's there. And I, I want to get there. I want to work through the specific issues, things like this. But first, I just want to listen to both parties. And usually both are pointing the gun at each other. And the truth is usually right in the middle. And usually what I've found, um, it takes two to tango. One might be more at fault, but it always takes two. And I want to know the nuances of the story to know kind of how to navigate through it. So we can together, Lord willing, by God's grace, map out a path toward restoration. And I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think by sitting down and hearing the, the story, sometimes you're just like, there's no, there's no, there's no grounds here. There's no reason for this. Yeah, yeah. And the very fact that divorces entered the equation or entered the vocabulary usage is making it easier to just progress down that trail to, For sure. to dismiss. However, there are times, and I would even say, and I know you agree with this, but there are times where one party is basically a hundred percent at fault. Like where there, I mean, like obviously there's I'd no say ninety-eight. There, yeah, yeah. There's no perfection <laughs> in any of us, right? But right. Th there has been such trauma caused, and so I want to be yeah. sensitive to For that. Sure. Where there's right. such trauma and abuse caused that was that's not warranted, no matter how sinful, as far as in common occurrences, a spouse might be. Yeah, and sadly, e even though restoration is always the goal and what we should do first there are instances where even jesus permits divorce whoa whoa man he's jumping ahead here man sorry we'll get jump ahead he's, yeah. he's been out of ministry for six years he's just jumping right back <laughs> jumping in. at the bit here lisa tell us where you started kind of in your digging and what kind of caught your attention as you're trying to learn more about this subject uh, i agree with you about that marriage um first when you're counseling a couple to listen and to hear both sides first focus on what how they feel where their walk is with the lord what's going on what what are the different circumstances get them to focus on their walk and their what's going on with them instead of pushing the blame on their spouse which that's usually the case is when we're you know we just want to blame others for our sin but i agree it is um most of the time it is one person, I think, uh, you know, it's usually adultery that leads to divorce with most marriages, especially in the church. But yeah, it's marriages to sinners 
living together. And so it's always going to be sin from both spouses, sinning against God and sinning against each other. So, yeah. Okay. So when we're dealing with sin, right, I think we're all in agreement. It's two sinners coming together, right? But knowing that it's still something created by God, something ordained by God, something that shouldn't be broken easily, right? When we're giving all, given all those biblical mandates, we know it's two sinners coming together, living together, right? Mm-hmm. So it shouldn't be a surprise. And just because it's two sinners, I think it's really important to kind of dig through the first, and, and even talking about adultery. So we can kind of get into some of the aspects where the Bible permits divorce, right? But I also want to keep in mind, like, even if it permits divorce, it doesn't say you should. It, and I want to talk about what the Bible actually says, because that's what people want to hear, not just our thoughts or our feelings or what we want it to be like. But what does it actually say is permitted and how and in context help us understand how that can apply to us today? So Matthew 5, Matthew 19, those are your classic texts and they would, most would toss in and that, most toss in First Corinthians 7 as well into that. When they're talking about, when they're discussing, debating if it's permitted or not, and I want to be clear because Peter said from the jump that different religions see this differently different reformed evangelicals see this differently. I mean, like, so within our small window here of conservative Christianity, Mm -hmm. there's a very difference of opinion between scholars and pastors and professors uh, and lay people as well. And so... um, Well, there's a majority and a minority, right? I I think think so so from what I've seen historically as well as in modern day. What would you say those two are? I think the majority now is certainly that that divorce is permissible based upon right. uh, these these words of Jesus, Matthew chapter five verse thirty two, Matthew chapter nineteen verse nine, um, specifically in cases of adultery. Mm-hmm. Now Peter's gonna get some nuance, but the nuance comes in because I've had I've had I've had couples sit down right. where the where the man is addicted to pornography, right. And Jesus says that is adultery. He doesn't say it's like adultery or it's a picture of adultery. He says that's adultery. And so now the the wife is accusing him of adultery, which Jesus basically did. So there's nuance to that. But I think it's though the word that Jesus uses there, at least the word that's used in Matthew in the Greek is porneia. Mm-hmm. And that's all sexual sin. Like that's any sexual sin. Um, the is, umbrella term. is Yeah, is yeah. grounds, which is – that's kind of frightening because – what man or woman, for that matter, hasn't had lust in their heart at some point in time, you know, um, since since marriage, an unrighteous uh, attraction and longing after someone else. Like, I understand that that not acting with that or not, not, you know, indulging in that, whatever, um, that would be most of us. But there's there's moments where we struggle with pride. There's moments where we struggle with with gossip, with greed. And there's moments where you struggle with lust. And so, yeah, I think you have to be really careful as a pastor with this. I think the most clear and obvious understanding is actual physical adultery right. is grounds, Jesus is saying, um, whoever has committed adultery or porneia uh, has grounds for, doesn't mean once again that they should run into that, but there are legitimate biblical permissible grounds for that. And then, so I would hold to that. And I think that's where the majority of Christianity would land, even the majority of reform conservatism would land. Then there's um, the minority of Piper's view, John yeah. Piper, who says it's never permissible. Yes. Ever. So, and that's, I think Watermark Church, maybe out in Dallas has oh, that. Yeah, they have a yeah. very, very, very right. conservative. Um, but I would also throw in with adultery, the abandonment of the unbeliever. And I think you have to be really First careful with that as 7. well. But First Corinthians 7 yeah. there, if the unbeliever wants to depart, if they want to take off, let them like try to win them to the Lord. Like, I mean, obviously submit to them as long as they want to be together. But if there comes a point where they say, I I'm out of this, I want to leave. Now, what, it, what happens, what I've seen anyway, is there'll be two Christians in a church and they're married. And then one of them wants divorce. And it's just really easy for one to call the other an unbeliever. I don't think they're a real believer anymore. Right. You know, like, and so, right. I, so I have grounds to divorce. First Corinthians seven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so once again, you have to be careful and cautious with all these things when you're talking through them. But if there's some who does not claim allegiance to Jesus, they don't want any part of the marriage anymore, especially in light of your allegiance to Jesus, mm-hmm. there seems to be, in my opinion, freedom permissible grounds, freedom to, yeah. to leave. Mm-hmm. But For there sure. is opposing view, like you said, Piper's view. Yeah, Piper's view uh, displayed really well in his book, Momentary Marriage. That's probably the most uh, robust defense he's given of it, other than just sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon yeah. um, that, that he's done on this. But that it is never permissible. 
And I've always struggled, I think, with Piper's view, though I appreciate his bent. I think it's a little bit exaggerated because I don't think he quite handles these texts that we've that you've just mentioned honestly. Yeah. Um I think we all want to agree with him. Not a great word to use, but <laughs> <laughs> words are important. Huh? Yeah, that's true. Faithfully. Well, I mean <laughs> How about realistic? Let me just say this. The, the, like Aaron's yeah. no dating. The, the defense, because uh, everybody listening. And everybody, that. everybody, and everybody listening probably knows I adore my parents, but they take a Piper-esque view on this. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually a very Roman Catholic view. But the idea, the idea there textually, which I don't think is right either. I don't think it's consistent and it's good hermeneutics. But they would say that Jesus is talking about that betrothal or engagement period, which the Jewish culture. Oh, like Joseph Ma- and Mary were in? Yeah, Matthew yeah, being right. the only gospel. This is the, the only exception clauses in, are found in the, of the four gospels are found in Matthew. The, the Jewish tax gospel. collector, let's not forget. Um, and, jeez, <laughs> and, <laughs> and that. The betrothal period, which we do know this historically, the betrothal period was seen as incredibly significant, yeah. almost as much so, if not as much so, as the marriage itself. And yeah. that's why when, even before Mary and Joseph have come together in consummation, it's called divorce to put her away. Right. Um, Mary, your wife, she's called his wife. And so those who would take this view that divorce is never permissible – like Piper or or like other conservatives who I love. Like, I love them. They're great. Um, but they're, what they're going to have to say is that this is talking about, Jesus is clearly talking about an engagement period. I don't think that there's textual evidence that that's what he's talking about here. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's where we disagree, but I still have great respect for them. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the fact that they're doing everything that they can, according to their biblical understanding, to keep marriages together. Yeah. That's like, what I was going to say. Amen. Like, is there any harm in Christians amen. at this point, like thinking that divorce is not permitted? Like, I think you can think divorce is not permitted all the way up until you got to confront yourself with that decision and it ends up happening. But well, I think harm in insofar as you disagree with the scripture. Well. But obviously you don't want to run there, right? Okay. But okay. So here's my question then. Yeah. And Lisa, I really want to get your input. So jump in as we're talking. So my question is, do you think, because these, if you take these passages just on their face and, and you're going to say divorce is permitted for adultery or abandonment of the unbeliever, is that it then? If my wife commits adultery, can I then, am I permitted to get a divorce? Because I think the answer is no. I think the answer is no. You are not permitted to get a divorce at that point. You have to then try to reconcile. You have to still do a lot of things as the other half of this marriage relationship. So I think if you're just, but I'm putting that into the scriptures, right? doesn't specifically say that in these passages that you have to do everything you can to try to make this marriage work like Jesus and the church and something that shouldn't be broken, something that God puts together. But I think that that's clear and true and biblical that you're not just permitted to divorce if your husband looks at porn once or your wife, you know, leaves for a week and gets mad. Like, I I don't think you can do that. I don't think it's permissible or permitted just based on this, like the face of the scripture. So am I disagreeing with the Bible by saying that? No, you're totally in step with the Bible when you say that, because the whole point of Christianity is forgiveness. We're supposed to forgive each other. That's... So working on forgiving and trying to keep the marriage, knowing God hates divorce. And yeah, I would definitely counsel anyone to try, at least try to reconcile and do whatever they can to focus on what God thinks of marriage and not to go against that. It's easy today. We've just made it easy in Christianity just to to be done with anything. And so I, I agree with what Pete is saying, like, you know, just because there's infidelity, whether it is actual physical infidelity or emotional, mental infidelity um, that takes place, or an unbeliever yet takes off for a month or six months or says, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore. That shouldn't just like freedom be like, oh, man, I was waiting for that day. Like, I'm so glad I'm out of that. There should be a fighting for, and and I, I hear what Lisa's saying. I love Lisa, and I agree, actually. I know you wouldn't disagree with this, but there's a difference between forgiving someone and a and a re-engagement of trust that's been shattered you know sure. like um and that's one of the things that's been most perplexing just in ministry mm-hmm. is when someone when there's betrayal deep seated betrayal that takes place you hear people say well i i've apologized or i've tried to make this right or this person has apologized or maybe they haven't even apologized we're supposed to forgive even if they haven't apologized 
But forgiving someone, absorbing that debt is, I believe, very different. I think it's naive to say I'm going to place full trust again in that individual and and specifically related to this conversation in a spouse again. Um, and so while I'm certainly not saying that if your spouse has been unfaithful, you can't ever trust them again, what I, I am saying is it's it's uh I, th- I think it's a little flippant just to be like you just gotta you just gotta trust them again. Like, okay, but I don't think know. anybody's being flippant. But I do no, no, think no, I'm, that I'm not saying anybody is either. But I, but I would say that lots of marriages suck and are really yeah, hard sometimes. Sure. And that doesn't mean you should get a divorce. Lots I, I of would trust add is broken. Lots eventually. All. Every marriage That's gets my to the point. point where it's really, really I'm hard. It's like when people say, I don't want to work because I can't find a job I really like or pays as much as I want. Or it's like lots of people hate their jobs, but they have to work to provide for their families for whatever. So, and yeah. this is just a whole nother level again as a God ordained thing. Mm-hmm. Like just because you're having trouble, like Lisa said, we're two sinners getting together. We know there are going to be issues. Like I think you can, I think what you said is absolutely right, Aaron. You can forgive and that trust can still be broken and may never come back. Still, you should stay married and make that or work try to yes. and do the best that you endeavor. Can. That's what sure. I'm saying. Like just because trust may never be the same, or you na- may never have the feelings you once had for somebody else, or there are marriages that still work where someone's unfaithful and has a child out of wedlock while they're married to somebody else, and people can still make it work. Like that's the ideal biblical thing in my. Can opinion. I lay something before Adam? Because are are we in are we in agreement that adultery? and abandonment of the unbeliever are grounds, though they shouldn't be liberties to say I'm out now. They are grounds. Yes. Would you, you would agree. Mm-hmm. Abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, like these heavy things. Like, um, Yeah, I, I want to say yes, because I do okay. think that falls into some type of, uh, all, all, uh, there's some type of abandonment that's already happened okay. before that gets into the scenario. But case by case, I think the golden rule for this is case by case. Every situation is different. You got to take it on on its own. Because yeah. um, that the only time I would ever counsel a couple to separate, the only time I never do this. I've only done it once. Is when there's been, you know, physical safety is an issue. Yeah, and you need to get the police involved. You've got to get away for your safety. And from distance, try to rebuild. And I, w- I wanted to bring that up because for the person listening who maybe is enduring that, or they have a friend who's enduring that, oh, or a family yeah. member, so hard. Like, like you should, you should never endure that. Even I think, even Piper and some of these very much more right leaning hmm. on marriage conservatives would actually advise the same thing. At least from what I've seen, is yeah, there needs to be a separation yeah. period. While, while they still would not affirm a divorce, there needs to be a separation. And I think handling it. Case by case, like you said, I mean, oftentimes when something like that is going on, these other exceptions, not always, but oftentimes they follow. There will be infidelity that ends up taking place or there will be abandonment that ends up taking place. But nobody should just suck it up and endure physical trauma to themselves or to their children, I don't think, without seeking counsel and without there being some type of distancing that takes place. Uh, I just think safety is very important. I yep. think definitions are really important, and we've already kind of danced around a lot of sure. them. Sure. And Lisa, let's start with you. So when we talk about the two major permissions, and I like that, Aaron, because we talk a lot about Christian liberties on this podcast. Yeah. A lot. And we've disagreed on some. We've had a lot of fun conversation with listeners and Peter stuff has about no it. liberties. And that's different, though. Like, I would say, you know, Christian liberty to drink, somebody drinks, whatever. Christian liberty, quote unquote, which we I'm glad you said is not, to divorce for these reasons is just not the same thing. Um, so I just wanted to, to highlight that. But when we talk about adultery and the abandonment of an unbeliever, which is to me, I think a really hard thing to define, and I'm sure I would define it it more, uh, conservatively than Aaron, where do you look for these definitions and how do you like implement them into your life when you're thinking about this? So with adultery, I believe it's only sexual intercourse with someone else. Okay. Um, and then... Uh, abandonment is when they're not, you know, it, it's even in Genesis or no, it's in Exodus where it says like they're not providing, they're um, not the marital benefits. So they're either not helping with paying for anything. So they could be living in the house and just not providing at all. So I see that as abandonment, but as, and they have to be an unbeliever as well. Like, like, would you say, Lisa, I mean, once again, I, I think we've made it clear it's case by case, but 
would that would that in your mind, if you were kind of broad brushing this, be somebody who says, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't trust Jesus, I don't follow Jesus? Or could it be somebody who says in our Christian culture, semi-Christian culture, uh, I believe in Jesus, I go to church on occasion, but you're like, you're looking at them and there's no fruit, there's no evidence. Would you kind of take the first position or? I would take the second position. Okay, the second position. Like, okay. the, there's no fruit. Um, they're not uh, being convicted of sin. They're just in their sin. They're fine yeah. with it. Um they yeah. more resemble pliable than Christian. I, sure. I would draw the line at if Adam would baptize their babies. That's where I would draw the line. <laughs> um, so, I am so, so glad that everybody was convinced from that episode that my position is the biblical position. Let me just say. Yeah, so I, I think I would take it. I, I would probably um, agree with Lisa on abandonment. I'd probably have a – I mean, like, if my wife – God forbid, but if my wife ever kissed another man, like, that to me – that is unfaithfulness. Like that's an infidelity. That's a pornea that goes on. And so I'm not saying once again, if my wife, you know, if, if, if somebody's wife kisses a man or once again, a husband is involved in pornography, that that once again gives you full license and liberty. But I think these are serious conversations need to take place. I do not know to this day, my pastoral ministry, a man who is not engaged in intercourse with a woman who's not his wife, who did not first start in pornography. And so these are serious mm -hmm. conversations to take that need to take place um, once again to attempt restoration, not dismissive, not that Lisa was in any way, but if, if there is a flirtation that's going on, that needs to be cut off now because that flirtation, like the Lord didn't design us for flirtation to meet the deepest needs. A flirtation is a pass, uh, a, 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 you know, a passage to something deeper and something darker. And so for so me- you would push that line way back? Like you're so, so she's saying only the physical act, you know, is the grounds. Yeah. And you, yeah. you're saying like pushing it back. Like I, I'm just so, no, no, some I, people I, could I be agree. hearing like flirtation is grounds for divorce. I take the exact same approach that you take, right? Of wanting to take it case by case, sit down with the couple, talk through these things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But to me, it's not about if somebody comes to me and it's like, hey, my husband is addicted to pornography. Do I have grounds for divorce? I'm gonna be mm. like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about yeah, the addiction right. to pornography right. first before we even get to the grounds of divorce. Mm. Um, you know, I, I would seek restoration and all those things. Yeah. But this that's a that's a big thing. I mean, when Jesus says Matthew 6, if you look on one with lust in your heart, you're committing adultery. And so there's it's not just admiring beauty there, but you are you're undressing, you're you're romanticizing, fantasizing about what it would be like to be with this individual that is adultery in your heart. That's a big thing that often leads, not always, but often leads to a physical act of adultery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I say, I think we need to, um, not disagreeing with with Lisa, obviously intercourse is is the final linchpin that, that pretty much anyone who agrees in the permissibility of divorce would agree with. But I think you just you need to take a step back from that. When it comes to abandonment, I think we need to be very careful with that as well. But I do think if, a, if an unbeliever, somebody who, who shows, I'm not talking about a backslidden Christian or an immature Christian. I'm talking about somebody who shows zero evidence of knowing and loving Jesus, of they don't even have the gospel right, but yet they're like, yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah. Like, you know, that culture, uh, that is and very much so different than somebody who has a profession of faith that's weak. For sure. Just, just to clear something up before we continue. Yep. What you're saying is the adultery does not have to be of an un unbeliever, just the abandonment. Correct. Right, just because we've kind yes. of mixed the two. So yes. the adultery kind of you're saying is permissive, even if the husband or wife is a Christian, the one that is committing adultery. Yeah. So abandonment, okay? Do you, or do you all agree, I guess, with Lisa's abandonment is not providing the marital benefits, even if you're physically there and you don't physically abandon, is that considered abandonment that gives grounds to permissible divorce? And what does that actually look like, right? How do you define that? I would say that she's dead on with that. And that though this is as clear as mud, this one, we can define it like anything that looks like your spouse is just checked out. I think fits in the realm of abandonment. That can take no, I would the form add, that needs of, to be affirmed by somebody other than yourself. That's tough. Yeah, right. That, that, that that's scary. Right. Like, you I are mean, not the only one that can say this has happened. I would just have to yes. cross that out as absolutely not. That's, that's, <laughs> in today's world, that is that is people are going to use okay, that well, let and me, abuse. Let that. me define that. Like checked out for years. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. I would say. There's a habitual, consistent posture of the heart toward your spouse where you have just checked out. And insofar as you live your life, you're single and no longer really married, even though you still I want to provide a caveat here because I, I, you should never, ever, ever, ever reach that conclusion alone. Like, like Amen. ever. Amen. Like there should be pastors and counselors and yeah. mentors and strong Christians where they're affirming, not, not just yes people who are like sympathetic to your cause and your plight, but strong individuals, elder pastors who are affirming, yes, mm. this individual, though they're living in the house with you, they're not providing emotional support. They're not providing um, conversation there. I mean, like, and once again, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to do everything I can to point people toward restoration. So right, I, I want right. to keep saying that, like, but if there comes a point in time after a decade of there's no interaction, there's no intimacy, there's, there's nothing there, your roommates at best. And, and there, there has been an abandonment in pretty much every way with other than the physical presence of somebody sitting on the couch watching TV where there's no conversation you know, you start to have these conversations with them. Once again, I don't know. I'm not going to say that powers to us further than I do because I once this is very muddied, like you said. I would have a hard time maybe agreeing with Powers and Lisa that there's grounds there if the person hasn't physically abandoned their post. Once again, it's very nuanced, and you take it right. And I think that it would. And I again, just so we yeah, can all sure. be on the same yeah. page, we're asking for definitions and talking through them. Nobody, right. yeah, I'm not hating sure. on you for definitions. Sure. We're doing the best we can <laughs> with what we have. Peter's but judging like, you. I'm just thinking in my head, Judge right? Away. When we talk about depression, mm. people that struggle with alcohol abuse, drug abuse, go through these times in their life, lose their job, feel like they're a waste and they're not doing anything to help, and they're that stuff's going to happen in this life. That happens in so many marriages, or where they're dealing with something themselves and they, you know, emotionally abandon their spouse for however long, like that to me is where we have to be really careful when we talk about Mm -hmm. abandonment. I actually think if we're going to say something where they're living in the house and abandoning you, it almost has to go as far in my opinion, which again, this is just, this is hard to take what the Bible says and apply if they agree with you. Like if I'm married to my wife and she's like, he's abandoning me, I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm just, I'm just using the house as a place to stay. Fine. Fine. But if he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm just dealing with my stuff, depressed, whatever. Like that is so hard and muddy to go through to where, again, my line would be as far away from it as I possibly could get. It's very, very helpful. You should not be looking for every excuse in the world to divorce your spouse. You should be looking for every reason in the world to restore with your spouse. And so- what, what have you brought, especially if you're a Christian uh, married to an unbeliever, what have you brought to the equation that has helped restoration of the oh, marriage? Oh, that's so helpful. So we had a case at our church, not going to mention time or names, but we, we had a case where the wife legitimately, in our opinion as elders, abandoned the marriage. We'll just leave it at that. And the husband, rather than like Christ would do and pursue his bride, like a Hosea Gomer type thing. Um, I know you love that. And why why wouldn't you? It's in the Bible. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's like infant (laughs) baptism. And so uh, anyway, rather than like Christ pursue a wayward bride, he used her abandonment as justification for his own adultery. Mm. Right. Yeah. And it was just like that's where this stuff this is a dumpster fire. And I've I've seen that kind of stuff in 20 years of ministry. I've seen that kind of stuff where you have one spouse that's Mm. that's trying to restore, trying to restore. And then finally, it's the the lack of restoration. You uh, turn into like willingness. a victim mentality. Yes, there, there We've had a, pastors yeah. in our area that have gone through things like yeah. this. Yeah. Right? Literal right. abandonment, gone forever. Right. Try, 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 can't. Okay. Then you, I, I get it. You know, you've proven abandonment, you know, but like that's, that's I think, the more common thing that happens in yeah. today's day and age. I think so. It's like, abandon, I'm out. See ya. I'm going to go with my girlfriend Easy now, to call whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, okay. There are two more big hot topics I want to hit. In this discussion, we've talked a lot about the permissibility of divorce biblically. Let's talk a little bit about remarriage. Is it ever? When is it permitted? You know, are they living in sin if they remarry? These are some of the questions that we get, right? Like, even if we can say divorce is permissible based on Matthew, First and Second Corinthians, wherever we want to find it, then remarriage. What's the Bible say about remarriage in those situations? So I look at the Westminster Confession of Faith says Mm. that in the case of adultery after marriage, it is lawful for the innocent party to sue out a divorce and after the divorce to marry another as if the offending party were dead. Um, The second London Baptist confessional left out 
a couple paragraphs on that. So they're a little, they don't really agree with that. Um, but I believe that's what divorce is, is freedom to go and pursue and remarry someone else. And that's what's in the Bible. That's what Jesus said, that that it's permissible when you're abandoned or adultery is involved. One of the key um, words, though, there in that definition, the innocent party. Mm-hmm. That would mean the innocent party, therefore, can go remarry. It implies the guilty party cannot. Yeah, I mean, right? I— Hundred percent. I love yeah. the Westminster yeah. Confession. Other than that, whole... but what does innocent party mean? <laughs> okay, first of all, love Westminster Confession. Other than that whole infant baptism thing, uh, love London Baptist Confession as Amen. well. Amen. Um, they're both. Just in case somebody's listening, they're both derived from by a collection of godly pastors derived from the Scripture. Like, so what? What is the Scripture teaching on this? The the issue that I might have, I might not take it as far as Lisa does because I a hundred percent believe that someone who has been uh, transgressed against. And by innocent party, that does certainly does not mean in the Westminster Confession that that person's never sinned. What it means is that adultery is never justified, no matter how much your wife nags you, no matter how, how much your husband ignores you, adultery is never justified. And so by innocent party, they mean the person who is not guilty of unfaithfulness, not guilty of adultery or fornication. Okay, so to Adam's point, actually, the person who is guilty of adultery, there's not any biblical grounds or confessional grounds for remarriage for that person. There's just not, okay, no. that they can justify however they want. The person who has been transgressed against in adultery, I believe, fully has the right, based on Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, to remarry. What becomes more cloudy is what if what if it's just irreconcilable differences then what if, what if it what if it is uh, you know Paul 1 Corinthians 7 the unbeliever departs there doesn't seem to be a caveat of allowance for the person who was abandoned to get remarried now i would apply personally i would apply Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 to the person who's abandoned as well um, as Lisa did, and say that they also have liberty now to remarry because they have been abandoned. And typically, not always, once again, but typically when an un- when a believer is abandoned by an unbeliever, there is adultery that takes place, meaning, just to be clear, that that, that, that unbeliever gets remarried and sleeps with their spouse, and that is biblically in line with you know, like not faithfulness to their former spouse. And so right. there is some type of sexual transgression that takes place that, that would free the person to remarry. But I, I would, um, it becomes more nuanced once again, when adultery is not in view, a remarriage does. I think when adultery is in view, the person who has been, um, the unfaithfulness has been committed against does have the liberty to remarry. Where are the confessions getting that from the Bible, Adam? It's or Lisa. Matthew 19, 9 and yeah. Romans 7, 2, 3. And Matthew 5, 31 through 32. Yeah. And Matthew 19, 9 is, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So we're, we're like, like by the absence of certain things, inferring certain things, right? Yeah. Sure. Th- this is uh, implicit right. in scripture, but we're commanded to believe everything sure. that's explicit and I get implicit. You. I agree with you. Right. Yeah. Amen. So what, what else? What other, is that it? That's that's it. That's what we're taking. Everything the, we know about. The, there's there's oh, a oh, reason oh, there's been so much controversy yeah, around exactly. this subject that's what over I'm the saying. years. Like, is there anything the Bible, else? The Bible draw is from? not abundantly loud and clear on this, and so that's why there are really good theologians that we've mentioned on this podcast that we all love and appreciate who maybe go further than we would go right. on divorce mm-hmm. and remarriage, and others who would not go as far as we go on divorce and remarriage. I think where this gets really sticky and difficult and you feel the the rub in the church against the world here is when we interview people to become members of sunrise we ask them about their history and things like this and if there's a divorce we want to know i mean not to be like incredibly blunt here but were you the offending party and if so i don't think you should be a member of our church because you're living in active sin and in a, adultery right now. If you're remarried. But you're saying but if they got if divorced. If you're the innocent party, but what welcome. If they, what if they're the guilty party, they've gotten divorced and they've just lived, they're just living a single life the rest of their life? Come on in. Okay. That's what yeah. I said. So you're For saying sure. if they're remarried. Yeah. Because you believe I, now they're I, living I would, in I would active have a hard sin, time. Yeah. just like a homosexual couple, basically. Yeah, for sure. 
But but they can confess that sin and repent and, right. and be like, God, I, right. I really screwed up. I left my marriage because mm-hmm. of unbiblical reasons yeah. and well said and now they're well this is another to, then we need to define what is repentance and look like well i was gonna say this is another nuance there's yeah. another nuance of this is some theologians would say that the remarriage is a one-time hmm. you know like yeah the, or, so, so, or, so, or living so, in so the unfaithful the unfaithful person was unfaithful maybe they repented that they got remarried that that was a one-time sin but now they're not living in it by being hmm. married other good theologians would say they're continually living in a pattern of sin by right. being remarried. Right. I, I um, would the, probably lean toward the, that. Yeah, the unfaithful. I would probably lean more toward the first. Right. Toward what Lisa said that that the, the un once again the, the the innocent party in this is free to remarry, but the unfaithful transgressing party is not free to remarry. At least it would seem that way, and people are welcome to disagree biblically on this. Um, but I would say that that remarriage is a one-time offense and not a ongoing. Because mm-hmm. then it's kind of like somebody comes to your church and and they say, "Hey, I got remarried." Well, if they're living in sin, then their marriage to you is not even a marriage, and they should repent and dissolve that marriage now, right? That's which a, legally would be divorce and return issue. to their first spouse. Yeah. I don't agree with that. I agree, which means it's sticky, <laughs> sticky all around. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, but it's something for all of us to be yeah. like. This is why we don't get a divorce. Absolutely, not, you know, yeah. because you're Here's if you're a Christian, you're always going to be a true believer, and your churches are mm-hmm. going to ask you those questions. Yeah, yeah, if they're healthy churches. Yes. So, what about if you got divorced before you were a Christian? I still think I still think it's the divorce was sin, or God hated the divorce. I will say that the divorce might not have been sin if like you were not a Christian, but your spouse cheated on you. Okay. So we understand the exception clauses, hopefully, at this point. But that God hates divorce. He is, his goal is always restoration. His goal is for families to stay together. But you got divorced for whatever reason. You got remarried. The person you're married to now is your wife or your husband. And even though that remarriage might have been, once again, there's so much here. So if, if, you, if you were the innocent party, it was not sin for you to get remarried. If you were the guilty party, then it is sin seemingly for you to get remarried. But even if you were the guilty party and you got remarried and you weren't a Christian and now you're married to this person, you are a Christian, you stay married to that person. I, that's why I say you're not living in unrighteousness now. We at that's building, what faithfulness looks we like. Would, at Building 28, we would welcome that couple in. We want to hear their story and right. you know and, and understand, okay, this was I was 21 years old and I got married and I didn't know what I was doing and we got divorced for just irreconcilable differences. It wasn't even infidelity and then I got remarried. The person you're remarried to, that, there was a lot of sin in your mm-hmm. past, just like there is in all of our past. You've repented of that and confessed that for the Lord. The person you're married to now is your spouse before the Lord. I like that. That's, that's where that's we good. land. It's good. Well, and I, I assume the answer, since we're kind of just digging into specifics now, if you both cheat on each other, you're both the guilty spouse, right? Or the yeah. guilty party. Yes. So even if one's worse than the other, one did it first and or whatever, did, yeah. you'd still say, okay. Which is also why don't commit adultery, right? Yes. Um. So next question, ministry. Hmm. How does divorce affect ministry? And I think, is it along the same levels as what you said for one time sin, you can repent. Cause I think that has a lot to do with ministry or if you get remarried and you're living in sin, how does all that affect ministry and levels of ministry? Like, does it disqualify a pastor yes. to be divorced? Yes. And what case level of, case. what level of pastor? Case by case. Well, what well, case by case? What, what, if it was what do you permissible mean? What level to, of pastor? Like if you're somebody that's like, like an associate pastor who handles the business of the church, is that different than the lead pastor who's preaching every Sunday? No. Or would you say no? Every oh, okay. elder is called to be an exemplary Not every model. church has the same el- same. The Bible calls every minister in Scripture's a church. is clear about what a healthy right. but, biblical model of a church is. So eldership is pastorship, yeah. shepherding. Yeah. And so- But you'd agree that a lot of churches call people pastors that aren't elders. Or Amen. do you disagree with that? Amen. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So like, I mean, not a teaching, preaching- Elder leading the church, but maybe I don't know what you want to call him a second okay. level pastor. Let's or just say this because we've, we've done we've done a couple podcasts now on disqualification in ministry, infidelity on the part of the minister, pastor, director, whatever, is always I would say always grounds on their part. I'm not talking about their their spouse cheating on them, but on their part is always grounds for dismissal and for disqualification at least for a season in ministry. And once again, that has to be parsed out. But I mean, by, for, for, by not yourself, but by people around. For you. many people, yeah. if they find out that their pastor was a believer and was unfaithful 15 years ago, they still can't sit underneath that pastor's ministry. There's a level of trust that has been broken, understandably so. 
Um, I wouldn't say that that pastor has always disqualified themselves, uh, has has forever disqualified themselves, sorry, um, from ministry, but they have for a season for sure, in my opinion, and they might have forever. I mean, the, the because Paul is very clear, <laughs> once again, he's very clear in an ambiguous way when he says that the pastor is to be above reproach. Right. Now, above reproach is the ambiguous part. What does that mean? He's not going to be perfect, clearly. But when you start bringing in sexual sin, that is something that's going to be known by outsiders typically. That is something that people in, in, in within the church community are going to hear about, know about. And it's really hard to argue, at least in any, I would say, with with any semblance of oh, six months, a year going by, that that person's going to be blameless. Five years is going by, 10 years is going by, you take it once again. I think that's what you meant by case by case. But um, now, conversely, case by case, what if your spouse cheats on you? And or you, abandons you, you as the pastor. Yes, or, exactly. And then that leads to and you permissible are the, divorce. According to Westminster Confession, you are the innocent party, right. this, even though you might not have paid enough attention to them or you might have been unkind to them or whatever. Um been more married to the church than your wife. Yes. Right, which I think yeah. it's a huge problem. When now we look at the elder qualifications, I don't think you meet them anymore. Right. So, if your wife leaves you and you didn't cheat on her, I mean, depending on your definition of well, you're still a believer, so you're not an unbeliever abandoning your wife. Even if you're the innocent party, a hundred percent or ninety-eight percent, I does that still disqualify you to be I would say the same rules apply that a season away yes. is needed. Right. Yeah. And other people than yourself need to define. Even what? if it's just for healing, I right. mean, just for healing for your soul. Like, no, no pastor should go through that, have a wife abandon them, and be like, "I'm good to go." Now, now that sh- to me that would sh- that would be like warning flags of this pastor's not okay. Like, there might actually be a reason why his wife left. If yeah. he's like okay with her just taking off, and I'm, um, so taking a season away at least for healing, I think is very important. I will say there are some uh, scholars who will take First Timothy three and uh, the husband of one wife. And they'll require that their elders be married, for one. Like, no so single, have, pastor's have a single pastor. Jesus and Paul excluded. Um, and, Sorry. And, Sorry, guys. Who are they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yikes. And if their um, wife abandoned them <laughs> uh, or left them, now they're not the husband. That divorce disqualifies them. However, I think you might disagree. Lisa, you might disagree. Pete might disagree. I think the the proper rendering of the Greek there in First Timothy three and Titus one is a one woman man. Right. Um, and so it is, it's talking about faithfulness on the part of the pastor, not that he has to be married or if his wife abandons him, that he can no longer be pastor. Um, it was more a prohibition against polygamy or uh, promiscuity than it is having to be married there. Okay. So I think one of the last ones we'll talk about before we close is what about separation? When is that permissible? When is that maybe even recommended as a alternative to divorce. I believe you should be working on the marriage and separation is not not permissible for any other of the two reasons we've already discussed. I agree except when your own physical safety right, physical is in, abuse, right. uh, yeah. in up in up in the air. Once again, I hate to keep saying this, but we've all said it. Case by case. You have to take every couple differently. Like yeah. we're all yep. different. I hate broad brushing something and having these these kind of rules in place. I think we're the scripture mates rules, which we've taken kind of hard stances on certain things on this podcast. That's because scripture leads us that direction. But when it comes to separation, um, you know, Paul seems to indicate that in first Corinthians seven, that if a season of separation needs to be taken, there can be, but there needs to be prudence and it needs to be brief so that you can come back here so that neither spouse is tempted there. And so I don't think it should be a prolonged you know, unless there's physical abuse going on or sexual abuse going on, some type of abuse like that, I don't think it should be a prolonged week after week, month after month um, separation. I think the separation is for healing, and then you need to come back together to attempt to restore the marriage. One thing we haven't mentioned, okay. one of the biggest victims of this is the kids, if there are mm. kids in the family. Right, which I think just adds yeah. to the heaviness of this decision right. and should be God thought of. will leave me, basically, is what kids learn. God's not faithful. So how would you counsel somebody in that situation that is thinking about it and then, or somebody that's already been divorced? What, I think we should talk about that too, a little bit. So, so say, say a believer has been divorced. What kind of counsel can you give them? Comfort can you give them outlook into the future? For me being single um, and having the church 
you know, me being invited to things and my family, my kids and feeling like I'm welcomed as a single parent, um, especially going through the divorce that I did through the church, like to make make all the believers and members feel like they're part of the family. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll just I'll just tag on and say, like, if somebody has gone through that, even even somebody who has who has the guilty party, who has been unfaithful, um, not excusing sin there, but showing them the love of Christ, calling them to repentance, trying to walk with them through that. Oh, a lot of times they don't want to be walked with through that. Um, and then also, even if there's not infidelity um, that's taking place, still, still as a church, being the church, meaning that we stand on truth, but we also stand in love. And so we don't ever justify sin, but we also don't alienate, unless there's a pattern of sin, obviously that's different, but we don't alienate someone who has made a mistake or has, has made a transgression. We seek to restore that person. Matthew 18, the whole point of Matthew 18 is restoration, whether it's marriage, church membership, whatever. It is not uh, retribution. And so oftentimes it's easy in our culture, as vindictive as we are in devices, where to be vindictive instead of trying to restore. Well, kids. Kids need to be led, loved, walk through the reality that, so for my example, my dad left us when I was 16. I have two sisters, 18, 16, and 14. That's when it happened for our family, when dad walked out. We, we didn't grow up in the church, things like this, and it took all of us, still kind of finding our way through some of this, but that God is the most faithful heavenly father that is alive and he will never leave nor forsake, but will ever keep forevermore. So counsel of the kids. The gospel again is the remedy for every sin, Yeah, whether a kid or a parent. I appreciate you guys being on the podcast today. Yeah. Lisa, thanks so much. Thank you. Superpowers. Good to be here. Good to be back. It's a hard one, but I think a good one to get into. Yeah, I think so. Real life. Awesome. All right. Until next time, folks. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Odds is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about the show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.